Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. When all the children leave home, life becomes very different. And um, I... Being a senior is something that I wouldn't want to do if I didn't have my children. They're the pride of my life, and they're what keep me going is my children. My name is Marion Mowry. I was here when we went to the Gentry Gym when they were remodeling, and then I came back. I think I walked in the with the group up to the church. I've met friends here, especially since my husband died. I have gotten very close friends with all the, our pew. I always sit in the same pew, <laughs> right down in the front. And I have enjoyed getting acquainted with those, those people. We even had a potluck last week. I live at the assisted living, so my, my life each during the day is whatever we can do at the assisted living. It can be lonely, um, but it can also be fulfilled by what we do as long as we have friends and we do things together. We exercise and we do crafts and pictures and things. But always look forward to Sabbath so that they will bring me to church and I can come to church and see my children too. My daughter and I text each other every day. And so we have a conversation going every day, which is so very helpful to me. Not all seniors have phones. Not all seniors are capable of operating their smartphones. <laughs> but I do. I've been through uh, a subdural hematoma with brain surgery and coma and being told that I wasn't going to live. And the Lord, that was in 2015, the Lord took care of me and brought me out of that and made me stronger. And I, I can't say how much... Praise the Lord for what he's done for me. And like I say, they bring me on the carts and bring me up to the church and take me back, and it's been a wonderful help. The heart ministry has been a great blessing, I think, for all of the seniors because, you know, there's no real close place to park handicapped, and we all can't all make it up there without some help. I just want to be here and be here with the Lord and be among my friends and be my family. I don't want to just be sitting back in the, in the assisted living watching that on television. It's not the same. I want to be here uh, where I, I feel the presence of the Lord with me and where, you know, I can hear Randy and hear the music and, and, and just enjoy the church service. And I've always just felt like it was part of my life. But some of us grow older and older, and after a while, we're not here anymore. We need to have the young people coming up to keep it going, to keep this church vibrant. We're building a new building. I'm waiting for this to happen and to have 
you know, more space and we can build our church and help the whole community. The young people, all the generations that we can take care of each one of them because I think that that's the blessing that the Loma Linda Church can do and I'd like to see it go forward. I worry about my children and I, I think that we need to do things that get the young people involved. They are such an important part of our church and we have a lot of memories but they have memories to be made that they need to make. Listen to the voices of our seniors because they have wisdom to share. I want to wish a very special welcome back to our students. This is the very first official Sabbath of the new school year. So we're so glad to have you here with us. And uh, we're excited to have you as a part of this brand new series. Last week, we began the series called Generations. And the whole point of it is to help all the different generations understand each other more fully so that we can become better together. And so you may notice over the next few weeks, the, the services are all going to be a little bit different. That's intentional because we've crafted every worship service to teach us a little bit something about each generation. And as you may have noticed, this Sabbath, we began with our oldest generation, our seniors. Now, we kind of have a love-hate relationship with aging. Pastor Greg Laurie, in his book, The Best is Yet to Come, he describes this dynamic relationship that we have with getting older. He says, when we're, when we're kids and someone asks us, how old are you? We say, we're five and a half. And that half is very important, right? The older we get, those half-year and three-quarter-year milestones seem less and less important because we're so eager to get older, to become adults. So in our teenage years, we say things like, I'm going to be 16 even though we may only be 14 at the time. <laughs> We're so excited that by the time we hit adulthood, we say that we become 21. That sounds official, right? We become 21. But then in a blink of an eye, we turn 30. What happened there? We turned a corner. We become 21, we turn 30, and then we are pushing 40. Isn't that what we say? Now age has become this weight that we're pushing ahead of us. We become 21, turn 30, pushing 40, we make it to 50, we reach 60, and then for some reason we catch speed and we hit 70. And then after our 70s and 80s, it becomes like a day-to-day -day thing. Like, I hit Wednesday today. <laughs> we get a little bit older and it's, I hit lunch. And then we get to that century mark and all of a sudden we're right back where we started. When someone asks us, how old are you? We say, I'm 101 and a half. <laughs> we have a dynamic love-hate relationship with getting older. But the Bible is clear that God understands the value of age. He loves working with seniors. That's why some of the most powerful acts that he has performed in the Bible were through seniors. Take Moses, for example. Moses was 80 years old when he first started leading the Israelites. That's when he began leading them at age 80. Paul. Paul served as a missionary. He wrote the prison epistles. He, 
like Pastor Randy talked about last week. He mentored the next generation of leaders all as a senior. And they're not the only ones. John wrote the book of Revelation. Daniel received his most powerful visions, both as seniors. No wonder the Bible tells us that your old men will dream dreams. See, vision is not the sole domain of the young because God understands the value of age. And that's right. The writer of Proverbs says, gray hair is a crown of splendor because it is attained by living a godly life. It's a crown of splendor. So wear it proudly. Now, we have some amazing seniors at our church. Over the past year, I've had the privilege of getting to know some of you. As a part of our vision to bridge the gap between generations, we've spent hours listening to members of different generations, including the seniors. And one thing I discovered is that this group that we call the seniors is a very broad demographic. It's a very broad demographic. We have some who live in assisted care facilities and have difficulty getting around on their own. But we also have seniors who are very active, who are teaching, preaching, writing, even running marathons. And because it is such a broad demographic, it's sometimes difficult to nail down a definition of who exactly is a senior. Some say if you're 65 and older, then you're a senior. At Denny's, you can order from the senior menu starting at age 55. And I'm told, this hasn't happened to me yet, but I'm told that the AARP, the American Association of Retired Persons, they send you a membership card on your 50th birthday. Pastor Doug, has that happened to you yet? Yeah. <laughs> Any of you received one of those cards? Any of you a little bit offended when you did? Why? Because we have this misconception that seniors are those who have outlived their usefulness. But that's simply not true. The seniors in our church are among the most committed members of this church. They faithfully serve every single week. Last week, I was walking around, and I was amazed at the number of seniors we have serving in so many different capacities. They are the shuttle cart drivers who drive us. They are the, the greeters who welcome us. They are the teachers who teach us. They are the deacons who serve us, and they are the elders who lead us. And the list goes on and on. Our seniors truly are the gift that keeps on giving. And yet it is also true that the older that we get, the more we come face to face with our limitations. So the question is, how can we age in a way that it adds to rather than detracts from our usefulness to God? How do we compound our influence? How do we leave a legacy that lasts beyond the years of our lives? Because the answer to those questions is the key choice that we need everyone, but particularly our seniors, to make. So today we're going to look at a passage. We're going to look at a passage where a senior made that critical choice. And as a result, he was able to leave a legacy that lasted. And that's found in Exodus chapter 18, starting with verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up, turn them on, flip over to Exodus chapter 18, starting with verse 1. Now here's the context of what we're about to read. 
God has just rescued the Israelites from centuries of slavery, and he's done it through a senior, through Moses. So high off of this success, he receives a visit from some very special guests. Verse 1 reads, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. You notice how he mentioned that Jethro was Moses' father-in-law? There's been a lot written about the tension that exists between in-laws. Luckily, my daughters are not quite at the age where they're starting to date and not close to the age of getting married. But on that faithful day when they marry the men of their choice, I'd like to think that I would welcome them with open arms. After all, we're told that we should keep our friends close, but our enemies closer. I'm just kidding. I'm sure I'll love whoever they choose to marry at age 40. But there is this tension that exists between in-laws. I want you to keep that in mind as we read what happens next. Verse 13 says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. I want you to focus on this phrase, not good, for a moment. Not good. It actually appears only twice in all of the Pentateuch. Does anybody want to guess the other time this shows up? I'll give you a hint. It's during the creation account. And God has just created Adam. He looks at him and says, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. We cannot lead alone. We cannot live alone. To be alone is not good. And yet that's exactly what Moses is doing here. He's carrying that burden of leadership alone. And that's why Jethro says to him in verse 18, if you continue this way, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. And then Jethro proceeds to give Moses some some good advice. Verse 19, listen to me, listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representatives before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But also select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. 
Now, what most people assume that Jethro is proposing here is a system of administration, one that will allow Moses to lead a large group of people through the use of intermediaries. But that's not the only thing that he's doing. Look carefully at what Jethro says. He starts by telling Moses that his primary responsibility to these people is to teach them God's decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. His primary role is to teach them God's law and show them how to apply that to their everyday lives. See, this is the work of judging that Moses has been called to. He is to teach them how to make good choices. And then Jethro urges him to share that burden of teaching with others. See, what Jethro is proposing is not just a system of administration, but also a system of education, one that will eventually allow every adult male to be a, become a leader and teacher in his own right. That's what he's proposing. See, that's why there, is, there are so many judges to begin with. Do you realize for every 1,000 Israelites, there's 131 judges? One in every eight men was called to be a judge. So with so many judges, it's likely that everyone who could possibly teach was tapped to be one of these judges. And each judge had a mentor above him leading all the way up to Moses, whose mentor was God himself. See, Jethro doesn't want Moses to become the sole decision maker that makes everybody's decision for them. No. He wants Moses to create a system, an education system by which every person can learn how to make good decisions for themselves. See, Jethro invests his wisdom into Moses, and then he calls on Moses to do the same for the people of Israel. Because that is how you leave a legacy that lasts. You invest in the next generations. Now, the challenge is, a lot of times we have more wisdom to share than we have people to share them with, right? A lot of times we may have things to say, but not a lot of people who really want to listen to what we have to say. So then how do you invest your wisdom in a way that it's received rather than rejected? Well, let's take a look at Jethro, because Jethro faced this struggle himself. You know, Moses could have easily completely disregarded what Jethro had to say. First of all, Jethro was his father-in-law with all that tension. Secondly, Moses had been trained from childhood to be a leader. He had been prince of one of the mightiest nations of his time, so he knew a thing or two about leadership. And third, Moses had been called by God himself, and he had had tremendous success leading the Israelites. So it would have been very easy for Moses to completely disregard everything that Jethro said. So what does Jethro do? Take a look. Verse 9. Verse 9 tells us, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. See, he begins, he begins by listening. He listens to Moses' stories. He listens to his tremendous success. And he celebrates with him. We're told in the Bible that, that they offered sacrifices and worshiped God, praising God for all of that success. He starts by listening. And then 
he observes. He watches to see how Moses leads. And then finally, when it's time for him to speak to Moses about leadership, he asks. He doesn't lead with advice. He leads with a question. He asks him, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? He listens, he observes, and then he asks. And then when it's perfectly clear that Jethro understands the situation that Moses finds himself in, only then does he give his advice. See, Jethro does what author Stephen Covey urges all of us to do, and that is seek first to understand and then to be understood. See, that's what Jethro does here. He listens first, speaks second. And if we want to, if we want to invest our wisdom in a way that it's received rather than rejected, we need to seek first to understand and then to be understood. We need to listen first, speak second. And that's incredibly difficult at times, right? Because sometimes it's just easier to just throw out the advice, especially, especially when we feel like we know exactly what's going on. And if they would just do what we tell them to do, then everything would work out. But here's the thing. It is very difficult to hear when you don't feel like you've been heard. Isn't that right? We don't like getting advice from people who haven't taken the time to understand us and understand our situation. So if we want to invest our wisdom in a way that it's received and not rejected, if we want to get past those glazed-over looks that we get from our kids, our grandkids, those 20-something-year-olds that populate our offices, then we must seek first to understand and then to be understood. Listen first. Speak second. And that is the critical choice that we need everyone, but particularly our seniors, to make. Invest. Invest your wisdom. Invest your experience. Invest your love for God and your passion for this church to the next generation. And that's a choice. That's a choice that the Loma Linda University Church has made over and over again throughout its history. When I first arrived here, Pastor Marvin Ponder shared with me a presentation that he had made about the history of the Loma Linda University Church. Have any, have any of you seen that before? Yeah. If you haven't, you really should. It's, it's fascinating. But one of the most interesting things that I, I, I saw there was that our church, the Loma Linda University Church, was founded out of a desire to do this, to invest in the next generations. See, way back, way back when there was only one Adventist church in Loma Linda, it ran out of room for students. It literally had no space in the sanctuary for students, so students were worshiping outside, listening to the message over the loudspeakers. And there was no room for them in leadership either, no room for them to serve. So on December 29, 1928, the college church was founded right here on this campus. And the vision was to create a place where students could be mentored to lead. That was the original vision of this church. That is the reason why we exist. 
And what's so incredible to me is that periods of rapid growth in our history seem to coincide with moments when we recommit ourselves to that vision. Whether it was our decision to build the children's wing before we built this sanctuary, or our choice, or Pastor Paul Hubach's emphasis on empowering students to be elders and deacons of the church. Over and over and over again, this church has made the choice to invest in the next generations. That is why we have grown and we have thrived. That is our story. That is our legacy. And that is the choice we need to make once again. When I was a kid, I attended a small Korean-American Adventist church in Northern California. And as many Korean churches do, we would gather on Friday nights to open the Sabbath and to worship together. The problem was that it was all in Korean, and many of us children didn't speak Korean well enough to be able to understand the sermon. So we would wiggle in our seats and cause distractions and inevitably just sneak out to play. And one of our favorite games to play was one that we called Romans and Christians. Because it was the Sabbath, and we need to Christianize our games, right? <laughs> and what did the Romans do to the Christians? They persecuted them. That's right. They persecuted them. So my cousin and I, who happened to be the oldest boys, would send out all the other children to hide, and then we would hunt them down and persecute them. <laughs> I think now they call that bullying, but back then we just called it Romans and Christians. Well, my uncle caught wind of what was happening, and he decided that he needed to do something about it. See, he didn't have a background in youth ministry. He had never read a youth ministry book in his life. All he knew was that he wanted to invest in us. So he would gather us together on Friday nights and just share whatever he knew about God, about the Bible, about life, about health. But perhaps the most important lesson that he taught us was one that he modeled himself. And that is that each of us is responsible for those who are coming up after us. See, that's why he had us start teaching Bible studies and leading Sabbath school and even preaching sermons. See, he is the reason why I stopped being a bully and started to be a leader. And he is one of the main reasons why I became a pastor today. And why so many of those people who are part of that original youth group are still actively serving in the church. You know, I, I would wager that many of us who are following Jesus could tell a story like this one. A story about someone who took the time to invest in us. And invest in a way that it was received rather than rejected, who took the time to understand us, who took the time to listen to us before they spoke into our lives. As we get older, we think more and more about our legacy, and it's natural. We all want to leave this world a better place. We all want to leave a mark that says that we were here. That's why people build buildings and erect monuments. And buildings and monuments are great. But the most powerful legacy that we can leave is the impact we make 
on the next generations. See, you have no idea the incredible dividends your small investments can pay. There's a song written by Ray Bolts that beautifully describes the power of our small investments, how our small investments can have big results. As Larry sings that song for us today, I hope, I hope that you will be inspired to continue the legacy of our church and invest in the next generations because that is how we leave a legacy that lasts.